And welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hopefully you had a very restful Memorial Day weekend. Welcome back. Back in the mix here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Are you re-energized? Oh, I am re-energized. I'm re-energized. He is Paul Dottino. You know that. I am Lance Meadow. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. We'll get to your calls, get to your tweets in a few minutes. Let's start, though, with the latest from OTAs as they took part in another OTA. Just wrapped up practice. We heard from head coach Pat Shermer. Also, BJ Goodson just addressed the media. Let's start, though, with the news of the day, Paul, and yes. that's Landon Collins and the fact that he was running on the side, working out a little bit, and then towards the tail end started to take part in seven-on-seven -seven drills, wearing a red jersey like the quarterbacks, no contact, obviously, that goes without saying, but it seems as if that's a sign of progress where we thought maybe we wouldn't see him until training camp. Yeah, Coach Shermer said he was surprised and he's doing better than they thought he would at this point, would not commit to how much he'll do at the minicamp June 12th through the 14th, but in fact wouldn't even commit to him being ready for a full go when the time training camp starts at the end of July. No definitive timetable at this point. Wants to just be real safe and cautious about this, but yes, the fact that Collins at least did some running around out there was certainly a good sign for him and for the Giants. Well, speaking of players looking to bounce back from injury, we did hear from B.J. Goodson, and Goodson was plagued by injuries last year after a really strong start against the Dallas Cowboys. He seems to be very comfortable with this new defensive scheme. He did not want to give away much of anything no. in terms of where he's lining up, how aggressive the defense is going to be, but... For somebody that hasn't necessarily had a great deal of experience in this alignment, seems to look at this as a new start and something exciting to get him going. Well, I think he wants to put all the injuries in his rearview mirror because he knows that to this point, those injuries have dramatically affected his production and basically have led to what is a disappointing start to what everybody thought was going to be a promising career. So I think he really just wants to close the book on those things, and he kept saying, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. Let's go forward. Uh, it is his birthday today. Yes. He was very happy to announce that. And the <laughs> fact that he is also healthy uh, put a smile on his face as well. He did say that there'll be more taking on linemen in the 3-4 scheme. He does share responsibilities now for running the defense with Alec Ogletree, the veteran who came in. Uh, off the deal from the Rams. He said that's not a problem. He's understood uh, Ogletree's uh, career. He's watched him. Um, he has learned from him. He's happy to share responsibilities with him. And uh, basically, he seems very excited and energized himself about what the Giants are trying to accomplish. Which obviously is a big theme for this team overall, especially a lot of the returning players who were hit by injuries. So it's not just necessarily the Eli Apples of the world who are looking to bounce back both mentally and physically, but B.J. Goodson too, who's looking to get back in the mix. So that was certainly an encouraging sign, same to see Landon Collins on the field. In terms of just some highlights from practice overall, quarterbacks are continuing to rotate, so nothing different than what we've seen in previous practices. And, you know, I'm always watching some of the running backs that are getting into the mix and how they utilizing some of them because with no contact, Paul, there's only so much you're taking away from shots down the field and so forth. And one guy in particular, I was you know, taking notes and marking down players, Robert Martin seems to be getting a number of opportunities, the undrafted running back out of Rutgers. Not that this necessarily is going to put him at the top of the list to make the roster, but I always like to watch some of the undrafted players and whether or not they're getting opportunities within the scheme, especially during this time period. Well, the only problem I have with, with any of those guys up front along the line of scrimmage is that because these are no-contact drills, 
yeah, it looks like he's moving quickly, and it looks like he's penetrating, and it looks like he's going to sack the quarterback, and it looks like he's got a terrific pass rush going. But, oh, yeah, (laughs) there's no contact. So the offensive lineman can't really do anything to impede him. So I try not to get real excited. No, I'm, about I'm with that you. Stuff at all. I'm just looking at you know who may be on the field and who may getting some reps and so forth. Because other than that, I'm 100% in agreement with you, Paul. I know a lot of people are going to call in and how does this guy look and how does that guy look. There's really only so much that you could take away from this time period until they put the pads on, until we get to training camp. That's when I think you're going to get the men separating themselves from the boys. Not much of anything now. No, and and to be honest with you, uh, even Shermer, who was praiseworthy of Eric Flowers about his attitude, about uh, the effort he's put in on the field. And being athletic to move to the right side. Being that he has also shown some good athleticism and quickness over there. Again, you have to take that with a grain of salt because until they get pads on and until they hit, we won't know exactly how much better or even what kind of grade to put on Eric Flowers. To this point, yeah, he's here and he's doing everything that they want him to do, and that's good. It's better than not, but is it a real grade? It's not a real grade yet. No, until he gets physical in the trenches during practice going to go up against some of the defensive linemen, we're not going to know much. But positive that he's back in the mix. He's lining up with the first team and looking to make the transition back to right tackle. And we should also add Eli Apple in there too because uh, Schirmer was asked about Apple. You recall last week, Apple had talked about how he was, quote, embarrassed by last season and he was looking to move on and mature. Well, that's exactly what Schirmer said about him today. It shows a lot of maturity when you can recognize Own the problems that you had, live up to those things, and learn from those things. And that, I think, is a good sign. And as far as on the field, Shermer's told the media today exactly what I've been telling people since he came out of Ohio State. Eli Apple has skills. He has first-round skills. That's why he was drafted there, because his toolbox is full. Now, it's all about putting it together. You know, and we saw a semblance of that in his rookie season. Didn't see much of it last year. He had a terrific pass breakup over the middle today. Eli Manning threw to Latimer on a crossing route. Last second, outstanding close by Eli Apple to knock the ball down incomplete. That's the kind of play that Eli Apple can make in a game. He is really good at playing the ball and his closing speed. Not to mention, he does actually play the run well when his head is screwed on straight and everything is going good for him. It's about doing it consistently. That's the name of the game. Same thing with B.J. Goodson, who's not necessarily in the same boat of Eli Apple because he didn't have, you know, suspensions or anything that he had to deal with. But, you know, we saw him have, what, a tremendous opener against Dallas, right, Paul? Yes. Filled up the stat sheet. But if you can't stay healthy prevents you from being that productive asset on the team. So that's what he's looking to get back to, to not just show flashes, but be that reliable guy next to Alec Ogletree that could command the middle of the defense. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Tim is in New Jersey. He gets us going on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Tim? Nothing. I got no I I question. Will the Giants sign Odell Beckham Jr. to a six-year contract extension and sign Lennon Cohen to a five-year contract extension? All right, Tim. Well, appreciate the phone call. And and Pat Shermer was asked about Odell Beckham's contract and whether or not he's concerned that if it continues to carry out, 
with no new contract, will it become a distraction for the team? And he basically referred to, Paul, what Dave Gettleman had said when he addressed the media multiple times and said, contracts are going to get done when contracts get done, and there's not necessarily an urgency factor. And it's no different, Paul, than some of the other previous Giants that they've dealt with where sometimes guys have not received contracts until they finished out their deals, and then free agency came and they locked them up. JPP is probably one of the perfect examples. You know, one of the things that that I think you have to understand – Coach Shermer is in the business of dealing with the guys who are available to him. Um, He's trying to put together game plans. He's trying to put together a philosophy, a scheme. He's trying to knit this locker room together. The last thing in the world on his mind are the numbers involved in a particular player's contract. That's just not bigger fish to fry. It's not his cup of tea. Okay, so I actually laugh, to be perfectly frank with you, when a writer asks Shermer about Beckham's contract. What exactly do you want him to say about the contract when he's totally removed from the idiosyncrasies and the numbers that are involved in that piece of paperwork? I, I just It's a laughable question to me. But in any event, uh, he said, as he echoed Gettleman's sentiments, it'll get done when it gets done. <laughs> And John Mara has said the same thing. Um, Here's what I will say um, in terms of attendance today, and it's obvious because it was an open media day, so we know who was here and who was not here. Jenkins was not here. Odell Beckham Jr. was not here. Coach was asked about them and said he was aware that they were not going to be here. End of conversation. So that's that. Damon Harrison who had not been here earlier. And, of course, we recall he had tweeted out he had gone to class and had actually gotten his diploma uh, graduating from uh, college. And Shermer also said he was aware of why Snacks wasn't here. He had said that weeks ago. Correct. Well, Snacks was here today, did report, did dress, did practice. Shermer said he looked good from what he could tell, and he was happy to have him here. So there's your attendance report that, you know, everybody wants to get all worked up about, as you and I both know, these things are voluntary. It's better if all the guys are here than not. But as with any voluntary situation, there are going to be times because we all have personal issues to deal with, whether it's family, health, finances, um, business things that are happening. Things come up in life. There are obligations, okay? There are times that you or I cannot do this show and we have to trade out of a show. And you'll call Fiegels and say, Jeff, can you do the show next Friday for me? Let's trade. Same thing with me or Schmelk. It happens. Okay? So these are voluntary sessions, and not every player is going to be here 100% of the time. So it's not really news per se. There's not much value in it at all unless you find out afterwards that there was a legitimate newsworthy reason and a problem that does affect his status as a football player. Then it becomes news. See, what you don't know, folks, is years ago, years ago, I'm talking about in the the George Young era, the Bill Parcells era. Don't date yourself. Be careful. I know. There used to be a deal with, and of course the rules were different with the CBA in those times, but there were voluntary off-season programs. And what they used to do is, okay, if you attend... 80% of the voluntary off-season workouts, you get a little bit of a stipend. You get a little incentive, X number of dollars, if you can attend 80%. That was the realistic number that the team put on it. 
Okay? That's it. You can make 80% of them. Then we think you've done your due diligence. It allows us to monitor you. It allows you to get properly prepared. You do 80%. We're going to give you a little cash reward for that. How nice is that? So to me, to me, I still go by that guideline. If a guy can make 80% of the off-season workouts based on the Parcells model and the George Young model, I don't think it's a big deal if he misses 20%. You'd like him to be here, of course, all the time. Of but course. 20% to me is the leeway. Well, and I think there's a little bit more urgency this offseason compared to maybe previous ones. New regime. A new system. I understand a new coaching that. staff. You want to be able to build that chemistry I now. Understand that. Because you have limited time in training camp. So, I mean, I understand a lot of fans will argue that. Well, you know, this offseason in particular, a little bit more important than previous ones. But I'm with you. And first of all, anybody who criticizes a player for missing an OTA or two, I mean, they're well protected by the CBA. And, you know, I don't want to get analytical here, but the CBA clearly says it's voluntary. So there's no violation of a rule that you can argue. It's just moral grounds that people are arguing. Let me run That's something by you. If you were a player, okay, and you were supposed to attend a voluntary OTA session, but there was a family situation at home, wouldn't you deal with your family situation? You call the coach. Of course. Do the right uh, thing. The communication has to be there. Be responsible. And that's a big call part the of the coach, aspect. Yeah. Tell him you got a family situation at home. I don't think and there's get anything the, wrong. And, and get the excused situation going, even though it technically doesn't have to be excused. You want to get the blessing of the coach anyway. You want to make sure he understands what you're going through. Because if you've got a situation at home to deal with, the truth is your head's probably not on practice if you're here anyway. Yeah, so you may not be as productive, but here's So the get thing. your family situation squared away, whatever it is, whatever the problem is, get that squared away, clean up your head, and then come and practice. It makes perfect sense, folks. Well, like anything in life, communication is important. So if a player is going to miss an OTA or a practice, if you give your coaching staff or your fellow teammates a heads up in advance... The communication is there, which is necessary for you to move on, take care of business, and then return it to the mix. So anyway. I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a big story. One last thing, though, I just wanted to add to the last caller's point. You do have Landon Collins due for a contract after the season, and you do have Odell Beckham. But the other thing that has to be taken into consideration, Landon Collins is coming off of the forearm injury. So, you know, part of the rationale may be, let's see what Landon does in terms of his rehab. Let's make sure everything checks out medically before there's anything in terms of hammering out a contract. And, and Odell Beckham, I mean, that contract situation has been talked to death at this point. And I don't think anything's going to necessarily change day to day. I think, remember, it takes two to tango. And mm -hmm. we don't know where their representatives are, Paul, in terms of the player's mindset and what they want or whether or not they want to assess the market further. See, Paul, that's the other part of the equation. You may have a team representative that says, hey, let's hammer out the contract. And the player and his rep may say, hey, you know what? We got two other wide receivers. We want to see whether or not they get their deal done first just to see how the market plays out. So that's the other thing you have to take into consideration. It's not necessarily just the team dictating the terms of the negotiation. Correct. It's also whether or not the player wants to meet them halfway. Oh, uh, and, by, and by the way, one other yeah. thing we should tell people, the other guy who had an incredibly terrific day today was Davis Webb. Threw the ball exceptionally well and can't say enough about it. Tight spirals, right on the money. Uh, threw one errant pass all day. It was a rollout to the right side, tried to hit a uh, running back, flare it out to the uh, right sideline, and that wobbled. It was a little high. Could have been caught, 
but needed to be a better pass. That was about the only errant throw he had all day. He just was absolutely terrific. So good for Davis Webb. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three hashtag Giants chat back to the lines. Christians in New York. Christian, what's happening? Hey guys, Hi. Um, I always hear about how good of a guy Saquon Barkley is, and he really seems like he is in his interviews. And he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to sort of get tainted by like the the fame and all that. And I kind of feel like he's going to have a good effect on Odell because. I think it's going to make Odell think about his own behavior when someone who could be just as good as him is out there dominating the way he does, but is still being humble about it. And I know when Odell started off as a rookie, he was pretty humble at first, but it almost seemed like his attitude kind of changed overnight after the catch. But, uh, yeah, I think even though Saquon is younger, I think he could have a good effect on him. Well, they already have a pre-established relationship because they had been working out together even before the draft. So I don't necessarily think that his arrival now on the team is going to change Odell Beckham's mindset. But, you know, I mean, when you say his attitude changed, are we talking about, you know, once again, the behavior on the sideline or are we talking about how he handles the media? Because I, I think too much is made of the sideline stuff versus, I mean, I personally, every time Odell Beckham speaks to the media, I don't necessarily sense a dramatic change in terms of his persona compared to when he first arrived necessarily. Well, no, I'm just saying that he kind of played with a little more respect on the field before he was such an established star. And, uh, but I think it'll just kind of, I think it could have an effect if Saquon is the guy having two or three touchdowns in one game, but he's being respectful and humble about it and not, I mean, he's still celebrating, of course, but not getting into overly heated uh, exchanges with other players. And, you know, it's easy to tell when, you know, a certain exchange isn't necessary. And I think Saquon won't get involved in too many of those. Well, he seems well-grounded from his interaction with the media thus far, and appreciate the phone call, Christian. Thanks so much for weighing in. So, I mean, once again, I, I don't know if there's anything to read into where Barkley's arrival is going to change Odell Beckham. I just think it's another level of competition that is brought into the mix. And what happens with most teams, I think you see, especially on offense, Paul, even if they're playing different positions, one guy's going to push the other. And if Saquon Barkley's arrival pushes Odell Beckham in practice every day and motivates him to work that much harder, you know, that to me is probably the biggest takeaway, much more so than the mindset of a player or, you know, whether or not he's going to celebrate less on the field. I mean, I think those are small, petty things that in the big picture of things are not really going to make or break this team. No, I I just think it's a lot of a lot of uh, worrying and stress about nothing. Yeah, be perfectly I'm with you. With you. I'm 100% with you. All right, let's head back to the lines. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? Hey, how you doing, Paul? Hi, man? Coach. Doing well. What's happening with doing? you? Well, I'm just calling back. Me and Paul, talk, we talked last week. Um, we were talking about uh, the special teams, uh, the kickoff. Correct. Yeah. And uh, you was asking me to, you called it homework. Uh, I called it kind of <laughs> like research. <laughs> kind of like uh, trying to 
<laughs> trying to figure out uh, if uh, they get rid of the kickoff. But what else can we do about the onside kick? Right. Let's get and, let's get Lance caught up on this. I think I was on with John at the time. No, I was on with you. Was, yeah, was on he, with he was you? talking to the two of us. I right. remember the conversation. Okay. So, you you so, specifically gave him a homework assignment. So, yeah. folks. Uh, Coach Marvin called up, and, and the deal was, you know, all these new kickoff rules, and, and we're talking about how the possibility is the NFL could at some point just knock kickoffs out entirely. And we love player safety, and that's got to be paramount, so we're on board with that. The problem is, what do you do about the onside kick? What do you do about the team that's still behind that has to kick off because they just scored, and now they're not going to have an opportunity to get the ball back if you kill the kickoff. So Coach Marvin was asked by me to come up with a homework assignment, be creative, give me give me a way that the trailing team can get the ball back. Well, the, the only way they can do it without a, a kickoff is you're going to have to do it just like you do when you want a um, a instant replay. You're going to you're going to have to let the rep, you're going to have to have one uh, onside kick allowed per half. You can carry it over to the second half if you're. I mean, you can carry it over to the second half if you want to do that onside kick. A lot of times, onside kicks, the um, opposing team know you're going to do it anyway. There ain't too many onside surprises that you see through the season. Not very often. The onside, yeah. the onside kicks you do see, so it's no big issue with the other team knowing that you want to uh, to. Uh, to actually do an onside kick, so I think it should be maybe one per half. If you don't use it in the, which normally you don't use it in the first half, but so you're talking two onside kicks per game, and you just inform the referee that's what you want, and they inform the other team that's what's going to happen, and you set up your special teams for that's, the onside. That's kick. an interesting thought, Marvin. Uh, and you would allow them to use it at any time during the course of the game. Any time in the course of the game. Interesting. Of course, now that does put, technically, it does put a kickoff back on the field after you have eliminated it by saying we're going to allow an onside kick as an exception. Yeah. Well, you're totally totally eliminating the kickoff, just not the onside kick. Right. Yeah. And it's not actually a kickoff, so it's just the onside kick. Yeah. Um, That's not a bad idea, Marvin. It's not a bad idea at all. See, maybe you need to get in touch with the commissioner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and, well, and they, I think if any teams are going to implement it. it. So hopefully somebody is listening. It's just an idea. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. It's just an idea. Um, but the, the the other issue I had was, my thing was, I understand the safety part, and I said it before, this has been said for years, the players are getting bigger and stronger. So it's not a lot of room. The field is the same size as it's always been. Right. So everybody's bigger and faster. So my thing was, if we don't want to get rid of the kick, here's another option. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just something I threw out there. Why not just knock it down to seven, between seven and nine guys on the field? That means instead of the field getting bigger, it gets bigger in the sense of number of people on the field. So if you can separate that, and I thought maybe, maybe you take away directional kick or kickoff, or kick returns. Because a lot of times what happens is we're always telling guys, okay, this is a return right, return left. Sure. And so we're, we're, we're getting our, our blocking set to run in those directions. What is that going to do? That's going to bring more people in those directions. That is true. Which some of the injuries are going to happen. So if you can eliminate that in the sense of saying, okay, when you can tell once the kickoff happens, the way they set up, which direction that, that they're going to run. If you can keep that, no more wedges, no more holding hands, it's most likely going to be one-on-one blocking. 
less people on the field, it opens it up. There's a, a better chance for what everybody likes is the kickoff return. It gives it a chance to get out there. Maybe it won't be as many injuries because there's not as many people out there. Marvin, how about this? I hear what you're saying, and there's a good philosophical basis for your comments. So how about this? What if you just clean that whole thing up and you outlaw directional kickoffs and say that any kickoff that goes outside the numbers is automatically, as we do now, when a kickoff goes out of bounds, that's it. Penalty, penalty, ball goes under 30, ball goes under 35 or the 40 or whatever, whatever yard line you want to make it. Why don't we do that? If you want to eliminate too many bodies on one side of the field during a kickoff, because that does create more clutter, more contact, more collisions and more injuries. How about we guarantee now that all return kickoffs are going to wind up being inside the numbers? How about that? Well, in that case, I would guarantee if it goes outside the numbers, I won't put it at the 40 like during the kickoff. Yeah, because that's I mean, a like big if it hit. went out of bounds. Yeah, I, I, I think agree. Those should be two yeah. different rules. Well, like I said, I what, that, what, what I yard line you want to take? Maybe the 25 or 30 yard line. Okay, fine. I, you know, that would philosophically be a way to help what you're talking about. Well, then under those right. circumstances, I think most people are going to aim to kick it in the back of the end zone anyway to just get the touchback because there's not really going to be much of a difference between the touchback and the penalty. Exactly. Exactly, but then in the case, in that case, we all get what we want. We got the kickoff and the safety part to it. If they kick it in the end zone, then they kick it in the end zone. Correct. It's Um, their choice. They have the option to do that. Yeah. Yes. No, I I think those some of those suggestions make sense. I mean, I'm for one. I, I don't think it's necessarily a big issue. I would leave the kickoff period because I think it's a huge part of strategy, and we were talking about job opportunities. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what this new alignment is going to do to the kickoff. That's what I want to see. Because remember, it's not just necessarily the amount of people. It's they're telling them they got to have five on each side, whether or not they're going to get down the field quick enough. Will this give an opportunity for more returns? Will it not? I want to see the first few games to see the true impact that the new role has. I want to see Coach Marvin have a sit-down with Commissioner Goodell. That's what I want to see. We can work on on the <laughs> parameters for that meeting in the upcoming weeks. Thanks, Mark. Coach, appreciate yeah, okay. the phone call. Thank Thanks so much for weighing in. Right. You got it. All right, let's hear from Scott in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening? Hi, guys. How you doing? Doing well, Scott. What do you got for us? Uh, I was listening to NFL Network this morning, and they had Dan Orlovsky on. And he was talking about the ability of running backs to pass block, and a couple of them were kind of interesting. He, he said how important, for example, Kevin Falk was to Tom Brady in his ability to pass block. He mentioned Theo Riddick. But the one that surprised me is he considered the best pass blocker, at least as backs go, is uh, Le'Veon Bell of Pittsburgh. And I was wondering, with the Giants, how much emphasis is put on that for pass blocking? Because I don't remember Sherman's schemes in Minnesota. So do you think the Giants are going to concentrate on that aspect with all the backs that they have? It, it has been of utmost emphasis for years in this organization and, quite frankly, in a lot of NFL organizations. If you can't help pass protect your quarterback, in most cases you don't get on the field. Right. You've seen the OTA, OTAs. I don't know if they concentrate on pass blocking in, in that segment. There has but, been uh, some recognition drills going on where, like Barkley said, he's even been talking to Eli about those blitz pickups. And they've gone out there and they've run some of those actual schemes 
and Barkley did step into the right position, showing that he was recognizing that the rush was going to be coming. So they're very pleased to this point with what appears to be an early recognition by Barkley. Now remember something, when Barkley was at Penn State, his running backs coach in his sophomore season pulled him aside and said, young man, you're going to have a future in this game. You're going to go pro. But you better learn how to pass block now because if you do, it's going to make your pro career that much better. So Barkley embraced that, and as a sophomore at Penn State, he began to concentrate on pass protection. He added that to his game. Now, even though he didn't have to do a lot of it at Penn State, it's something he's been working on now for at least a couple of years. And so he's ahead of a lot of rookies who get into the NFL having only been ball carriers. Remember we were talking about um, um, oh, who the San Diego State running back? Uh, Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny, yeah. right. All he did there was carry the ball and catch the ball, mostly carry the ball. They right. never asked him to do any pass protection whatsoever. The experience is different. So now he's coming into the NFL naked. There's something now that he has no experience with that he's going to have to start from square one. That's going to be tough for him. Now, if they, if they put Barkley out on the wing, which obviously they're going to do, uh, what about uh, Wayne Gallman and uh, Stewart? Are they good pass blockers? Do they have to work on that? Stewart's or good at it. make an assessment in regards to yeah, that? Yeah, Stewart's good at it. We know that from his days in Carolina. And Gallman showed a propensity to be able to do it last year. Well, they put him on the field on third down last year because they had confidence that he could pass protect. And, you know, Gallman, to me, made similar strides as Paul Perkins. Maybe immediately it wasn't there. Right. But as the season went on, he slowly improved in that department. I think all three main running backs have experience in that department. And, Scott, I mean, there is no coach that will tell you, regardless of their scheme, that they will not emphasize to all running backs that they have to have awareness on the field and they have to know assignments. So, I mean, even if Dan Orlovsky wants to go through a laundry list of every running back that played in the NFL and rank them, there is no such running back that comes into the NFL and is told, don't worry about pass protection. We'll just put you on the field and you just, you know, find your way and navigate your way through it. Everybody has to have some semblance of Remember that. something. Yeah. The running back, in reality is a football version of a goaltender because he's the last line of defense between right. a defensive player and your quarterback. Yeah, and if right. he misses his assignment, you're in trouble. Right. One more question. Uh, with the rules change, um, does that make it more amenable for somebody like Saquon Barkley to be the kick returner? Because, again, uh, you're not going to be able to take a running start, so if the ball's kicked deep, uh, obviously Saquon has the ability to, to run it a long way. So I was wondering, do you think the Giants will uh, gravitate towards that, or is there somebody else in camp that might take over that spot? Well, I appreciate the phone call, Scott, and thanks so much for weighing in. I thanks. personally don't think it's going to change the philosophy for the Giants. Actually, Pat Shermer was asked that very question, and he said he didn't really think it was going to change roster decisions because they're still going to need athletic guys in coverage. Now, you asked about the return game. I still say with the chance of guys taking hits, Paul, even with the new rules, you can't expect that nobody's going to get hit. They're still going to have the mindset of, do we want to expose our top weapons to some of those additional hits? And mm -hmm. Shermer made it clear, even when they drafted Barkley, he's going to get work in that department. But they're not going to now go out of their way to make him the main guy. 
Mike Westhoff, who may or may not come back with the Saints this year as their special teams coordinator. Remember, he was hired at the end of last season or late in the season by Sean Payton. He came out of retirement. He's the former Dolphins and Jets special teams guru. He was on Sirius XM NFL Radio today. He was very good in talking about the rules changes. And he said he believes that the speed burner kick returner is going to have an advantage now. And he thinks there'll be more kickoffs returned than in years past Interesting, because of the way that, A, they're spreading out the blocking. Which is one of my concerns. Okay, yeah. which gives more creases on the field to the return guy. And less time for them to get down the field, too. And in addition, they're not getting the running start anymore. Yep. Remember, they've taken that out and because they want part. to reduce the collisions and the impact of those hits. When you do that, you give a great advantage to the kick returner because, A, not only does he have more seams to go through, but he's going to have all the momentum of the running start with the quickness and the acceleration that he can use over those guys on the kickoff coverage team who are not getting that start and in a lot of cases are bigger defensive players who can't accelerate as quickly as the short uh, jitterbug or firefly who might be used on the kickoff return team. So Westhoff was very strong about, I think speed is really going to be a huge asset for guys who are going to be doing kickoff returns this year. With that in mind, maybe Hunter Sharp, who got to the Giants during the middle of last season. Wide receiver. He's a small, shifty, smurf kind of guy who has tremendous quickness. If they figure that that's the way this is going to shake out, Hunter Sharp may all of a sudden kind of move up a little bit on that depth chart. He might wind up being the ace kickoff return guy, which could mean on game day he winds up getting a jersey over the last guy on the wide receiver depth chart. Well, I mean, they have Cody Latimer. They brought him in. So, I mean, I, I still think— I don't think... sense him as the speed demon on kickoff returns. No, no, returns he, he may that, not be the speed guy, that but— That Hunter Sharp would be. But I, I, I still think that if it comes down to simply just keeping Hunter Sharp because of his speed and they don't necessarily have great deal of faith in him as being a reliable wide receiver, I mean, to me, that's a wasted roster spot, Paul. I still say depends on how much you go you, with the guy who's going to give you a little bit more. Depends on how much value you're going to put on your kickoff well, return team. If your strategy is going to be we want to return those kickoffs, yeah. and that's going to be a big part of our field position and what we want, we want to break them, they're going to go with the fastest guy they can get back. Well, and, and I'm with you, but my mindset would be Barkley, Beckham, Latimer. I got three options. Oh, I don't think I Beckham's going to do it. No, no, I, I know he may Barkley not do may it. Barkley may do a little bit of that because he did it in college. Beckham's not a kickoff return guy. No, he's I, more of a punt return I guy. I know he's not, but I think that there's enough talent and skill on this team that I can adapt those guys to those roles. And listen, this is just my opinion. I would have the same philosophy as Mike Tomlin of the Steelers. Antonio Brown is one of my best weapons. Yeah, he, I'm not he holding him, him back. He uses I him. would use Beckham and Barkley, but and I'm not worried returns. about how many opportunities. A.B. does punt returns. He Correct. doesn't do kickoff he returns. Does it. He, does it. he does punt returns. It's a yeah. different animal. It is a different animal, but I, honestly, it, I don't think it's that different that you can't get a guy to have reps in practice to adapt to that. All right, but it is different I, enough that you know years ago when I was a kid, guys did both. And yeah. then and then oh. it got separated, and now it's like, no, you don't ask your punt return and a kickoff return. It just doesn't happen anymore. Well, but I also think part of that is – I agree with you, Paul. You're right. They used to do the same, and that's why I'm not shying away from it. But I think the reason why they have the separation of what I like to call church and state is because of just they don't want the uh, bats to go up. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm using yeah, the baseball the analogy. They just the, hits. the, the less hits yeah. that the guy takes over the course of the game, they feel they're going to preserve the player. So I think that's more of the rationale, Paul, why a guy like Beckham and Barkley may not be used in those roles. It's not so much that they can't do it. It's well, just the ball does come down the differently. Advance. It does. No, but but you're going to tell me that a guy like Barkley and Beckham can't yeah. handle that. I mean, all right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Let's uh, see how it shakes no, out, folks. I, I think they could. It's so early skill. to predict, I'll it tell is. you that. It is, but I, I do think Although, the Giants have some options, which the is The Giants did not run – they don't run kickoff return in, in these uh, in these drills. They do run punt return. Guys who were out there today on punt return, uh, Hunter Sharp was out there. Uh, let's see. Travis Rudolph was out there. Uh, da, 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 da. Mike Jones was out there. Uh, Sterling Shepard was out there. Who else was on punt return? Uh, Joel Davis was out there on punt return, and so was Khalif Raymond, who also had that role somewhat last year. Yeah, Raymond. those yeah. were all the different. Those were the six guys who were out in punt return formation today uh, at the OTA. All right, let's head back to the lines. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks for tuning into Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Andre is in Rochester. Andre, what's happening? Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing well. Hi. Andre. What do you got for us? Just because the um, league is turning so much into a past happy league, I was just wondering who, um, since DRC was gone, who was DR fastest corner? And do you think William Gay is an upgrade from DRC? That's a good question. I think William Gay is a nice insurance blanket in terms of experience in the same ballpark as DRC. I would still give DRC the edge in terms of production. I think DRC was still playing at a high level. I think William Gay, over the course of his career, has been moved from the outside to the inside to help preserve his career. So I think DRC gives you a little bit more versatility even at this point in his career. But I do like the fact that William Gay has far more experience than any other corner on this roster. Yeah, I don't think Gay right now has the physical skill set that DRC brings to the table, but I do think for what the Giants want him to do, to play the slot, he can effectively do the job. Um, but beyond that, I mean, yeah, I, I still think DRC has a place in this league. His length, his speed, his savvy. Um, I, I'm a big DRC fan. I don't mind telling you that. And, and I would love to see it work out somehow, some way that he could come back here, to be honest with you. Uh, and you think you guys can get in the word and get those red jerseys back? <laughs> <laughs> I let you guys go. Well, it depends on you know what DRC is thinking. I appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. There was some chatter right after he got released that you know I think the Redskins he was meeting with and he took some meetings, but nothing ever came to I fruition. I suspect uh, a veteran of his experience probably isn't too anxious to get into a camp these days. He might want to wait till some of the eighty and ninety degree days of July and August yes. have passed. And also, <laughs> there's always going to be an injury, unfortunately, and a team is going to look to perhaps add a veteran yeah. defensive back, just like Leon Hall was added to the Giants right before And he will camp. certainly try to maximize his economic opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in terms of the first question that he asked, who's the fastest corner with DRC no longer on the team? I mean, one guy that I know is blazing fast, but, you know, I haven't seen enough of it with the pads and the helmets on. Is I mean, Teddy Williams, who they signed from the Panthers, the guy's got a track background. So, I mean, he's one of the guys that comes to mind just if you're looking for a pure speed guy. I would be shocked if he's not the fastest guy. Yeah. I mean, that would be the first guy that would come to mind. But, you know, there is a distinct difference, Paul, between speed without the helmets and the pads on and then well, the speed. Play speed. Yeah. So, you know, those are I'm, two different things. I got a hunch his play speed is not the fastest guy. 
But but in just terms of pure flat out sprint speed, if it's not Teddy Williams, I don't know who is. Yeah, I'm with you there. Dan is in Delaware as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. How we doing, Dan? Hey guys, how are you? Hi. Doing all right. What do you got for us? Um, yeah, I just had a comment about the OTAs, and then um, since you guys were talking about the the onside kicks and the kickoff rules, um, I just wanted to say one thing that I had heard uh, someone else make a suggestion. It was intriguing to me. I don't know how uh, practical it would be to pull it off, but I just want to run it by you. Um, but for the OTAs, you know, um, I know you know when you say like they're not they're, they're voluntary and. You know, and it's only May. We don't want to make too big of a deal. But I, I got to say, from a fan perspective, I, I actually have liked basically everything that I've heard and seen um, out of these OTAs. I mean, I don't know truly what goes on in the locker room and everything, but I'm one of the people that had really been blasting flowers. And at the, if you would have asked me at the end of the 2017 season, I, I would have said it was probably like 50-50 or worse that Apple would even be on this team going into this season, just the way it all ended. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with, you know, you, Gettleman said you don't give up on talent, and then Shermer has embraced the clean slate um, yeah. method here, you know, and it seems like the players, at least, like I said, from a fan perspective, just seeing what we see in the reports and what these guys say publicly when they're asked, uh, the play, I'm hearing what I want to hear from the players and from the coaches out of these guys, you know, and I know it's May and it's early and they haven't really gotten into anything you know, substantial yet, but, you know, you hear Eli Apple, he seems like he's taken his ownership and accountability for what he did last year and how he wants to move on. Um, I'm seeing reports that, you know, Eric Flowers has been working with Nate Soldier after these OTAs and just whatever they're doing, you know, it's, it's on their own time basically at that point. So to me, that's all positive. So, you know, I know that they're not in pads and they're not doing you know much of, of whatever they're doing but at least from what I'll say it gives me optimism and it, it, it makes me feel good to see those types of things especially with Flowers and Soldier I even heard today Wheeler was working with them too after practice I think it was Wheeler was the name that I, I read so it's just that that stuff is, is a gives me a positive and optimistic feeling going forward so you know there's still value there's still value from these OTAs even though maybe they're not getting the work in that they would get you know, when, when it's when it's uh, mandatory or, yeah, or when the pads go on. So. I think it's fair to say that in individual situations, sometimes there can be more value than in other situations. I mean, quite honestly, you know, I'm just going to pull Eli Manning's name out of a hat. Eli Manning has probably seen everything there is to see in an right. NFL career. And, you know, if he were to miss an OTA because he had a bad flu well, and had to did. stay home. remember when he had ankle surgery. Well, that's true. He, he missed time. That so is he's true. Been through that. But yeah. I was going to say, let's say he had bad stomach flu and food poisoning and he had to miss an OTA for the day because right. he was bedridden. I don't think anybody would panic about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah, and it wouldn't affect Eli Manning. But, you know, you still – Eli's presence being out there could help – someone else who's there, yeah, like a not, wide receiver again, or Barkley or somebody like that. You'd so. rather have everybody around yes. all the time. I'm not going to say otherwise. The point is, how much of a detriment is it if yeah. a particular guy misses a couple here and there? It's it's not as big a deal as many of the 
scribes would like to make it. Yeah, yeah, and, and Dan, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, I can get down with that. I mean, my only point was just coming off of last year, and I don't know what was going on in the locker room. I have no idea, but we were three and thirteen. Things fell apart. Everything you heard was negative and bad, and you know, coaches lost. You know, I don't know all the stuff that went on. All I'm saying is what's going on now, what I'm seeing, seems like the players are embracing the fresh start like Shermer is. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see a guy like Flowers, I mean, it can't be easy for Flowers to, when they bring a guy like Solder in, he's basically saying, yeah, you're being replaced. This is the guy taking your job, and you're a first-round draft pick, your top ten, and we're going to ask you to do this. And the fact that he is working with Solder, and st- so to me, it's just... Overall, I just feel it gives me a little bit of optimism and yeah, stuff. You, maybe you have a positive maybe I'm vibe. Out of it, it. But I think it's a positive. Well, at least. I, no, and, and I get where you're coming from, Dan. I, I mean, you, you're looking at what happened last season. You look at some of the drama surrounding the team, and, and yeah. you just feel as if everybody's a little bit more optimistic and willing mm-hmm. to interact with one another. I get that, but I'm also in agreement with Paul that I, I find it very interesting, and, and not what you're bringing up, but you know, when the media tends to focus on a guy not being president at OTA, right? Yeah, today it's May 29th. <laughs> I, I want to know the last time that a writer who wrote a story about a guy missing an OTA then brings up that in week five of the NFL regular season, the reason why the Giants lost the game in week five or week six was because this player wound up missing an OTA on May 29th. And, and that's sure. what I mean by putting things in perspective. Now, this is the only thing we have to grasp onto. We have nothing else to talk about Twitter, other than Twitter and the electronic yeah, media age does not allow for perspective. Well, Don't you I, I get understand? that, but, but this show does at least. Every little crumb is an earthquake. Exactly. So, well, that's why I think it's relevant to what Dan brought up. And, and, and I get it right now. Dan's looking through this lens. And we can only look through this lens, too. But in the big picture of things, while everything yeah. looks great, and I, and I agree with you, the interaction is positive, and it's nice to see players putting in the time after. I just don't know if what we're seeing now is truly going to have any indication of what's going to happen in Week yeah. 7 or Week 8 come this season. Yeah, and you may be right. I'm just saying yeah. I like what I'm seeing, and it gives and me some optimism. And I feel like some of the problem child players that I think were the problem child players last year seem like they've had an attitude shift. And, again, it could just be words, and it could just be that it's May. But, I, anyway, I, it's what I would want to see. Let me put it like that. Excellent. They're not doing anything to make me feel worse about the situation, Completely to make me feel better. Thank you very and much then, for the call. Uh, do I get to talk about my kickoff thing real quick? Real yeah. quick, go ahead. Real, real quick, quick, Dan. Right. What else you got? Yeah, I think it was I think it was Greg Schiano that proposed this. So this would get rid of the kickoff. Um, and I know he's had a lot of time to think about this, and it affected him personally with Eric Legrand and everything. And his suggestion, if I got this right, was you eliminate the kickoff, and every time you score a touchdown or a field goal, and you were going to would have kicked off. You start, I don't remember what yard line, but you'd start on whatever yard line, and you'd actually run a play, and it would be fourth and something. So that fourth down could be, okay, well, then we're going to punt it. So they would punt it off instead of kicking it off. But if you, in a sense, wanted to do an onside kick, you could, it's a fourth and whatever, I don't know, seven or fourth and ten. I don't know what the, the down, what the distance would be, but you would actually run an offensive play and, and go for it. And if you got converted it, you'd get the ball back. And uh, that was kind of his suggestion. Um, I don't. I don't think I have every particular, every detail about it correct, but it was in that vein. I don't know if you've heard of that suggestion I'm or, gonna, I, or I'm anything. Gonna, but. We're going to let you go. I'm going to read yeah. it because I have already found it online. So thank you. Greg Schiano right. proposed that after a touchdown or a field goal, the scoring team retains possession, getting the football on its own thirty, facing fourth and fifteen. The team can either go for it or punt it away. 
and that would actually replace the kickoffs. So basically what you're saying is if the team that just scored was trailing, that would give them an opportunity to reclaim possession yes. of the ball, but at the same time they could also take the conservative approach and just punt. Yes. I mean, it's not a terrible idea. And this was uh, something that they could experiment with in the preseason. Presented I don't see by Shiano, I guess, in 2012. Okay, his, so we're his talking alternative quite some time. to kickoffs. Yeah. Quite honestly, um, what about the, you know, he's talking about punting the ball? That's a free kick. That's what happens after a safety. Remember? A yeah. team does not kick off after a safety. It's a free kick, it's a punt. It's not actually a kickoff. Yep. And that does kind of change the whole dynamic of what's going on on the field too. Not quite as dramatic as what they've talked about now, but it does change the dynamic of it. A lot of things to be discussed regarding these kickoffs, and that's why I'm glad the, the things they're going to do now are only going to be a one-year trial, and then they're going to revisit it again, and that's right. the way it should be. Yeah, and they may go back to the old kickoff Who after knows? this season. We don't know. Who because knows? here's the thing. While Shiano's idea, I, I think, is another good suggestion, at least something worth talking about and hearing out, at the end of the day, Paul, though, you're still now exposing these players to another offensive possession. Yeah. And the defensive players are going to come out. So you, it's not as if you're preserving them. You know what I'm saying? I right. Mean, they're still going to take on more hits. They're still going to expose themselves and put themselves out there for injury. So, I mean, if the whole point is safety, if we're now adding another offensive and defensive play, I don't know necessarily if we're heading in the right direction from a safety perspective. The quote from Shiano at the time was that 17% of the catastrophic injuries happened on kickoffs. Versus other plays, he's arguing. But, but kickoffs were only 6% of the plays in the game. So while they are more dangerous, there's still a very small percentage in the entire body of but what of happens course, in the game. But of course, because yeah. of what happened with Eric LeGrand, well, he, he has was, a personal he was touched to personally by an injury that. on a kickoff. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We got Pete on Staten Island. Pete, what's happening? Hi, good afternoon, guys. Hope you had a good weekend. You too. Same to you, Pete. What do you got for us? Uh, I just want to know a little bit about uh, the Whiteout Shepherd they signed. Russell Shepard. Okay. Yeah. Right. Because I know that um, I think Eddie signed it for a three-year deal, I think, right before he had left. Um, and uh seems like he's a, a little bit like Latimer in a way. He didn't have a lot of production or whatever. Um, and the second thing I wanted to bring up real quick, and I'll take it off the air, with the, running, uh, with the uh, return specialist, whoever that might be. All I keep thinking about is Jason Seahorn. I know. And I don't want to go there with, with yeah, any I... of our, uh, our big-time players. I know. It's, I what get was it. it. The first game? I think it was the first game. No, nah, it was the preseason game against the Jets. He tore up his knee on a kickoff return on yep. that field of mud, which was the grass trays at the old Giant Stadium. Been there, done that. It's a horrible memory. Don't even think about it anymore. Well, Pete, it's the, terrible. It ruined his career. No, it, it is terrible. Yeah, but, I but, think it was the first game too. No, it wasn't the first game. The Jets Giants never played the preseason open. It was always it was always third or fourth week. Well, that game in general doesn't have a great history when it no, comes to injuries. Everybody seems to get hurt been a ton in that of game. Oh that my game. God! Didn't uh, what, Darian Thompson? I think yes. got hurt in that game too. Yeah, it's uh, not a good game. Uh, when you uh, look overall. The, the one thing I will add, Pete, and I've heard, you're not the first Giants fan to bring up the Jason Zehorn injury, but it's just, at the end of the day, Beckham, he got hurt this past season. 
he could get hurt on him running a route and going for a catch as much as he could get hurt on returning a kickoff or a punt. I mean, to me, we're really boiling it down to small, minute things. The risk of injury is always going to be there on the football field, no matter the play. So to say, well, if I take him off the field for a kickoff or a punt, there's less likelihood of him getting hurt. It just doesn't add up. Save your breath. Yes. For the people who remember the Seahorn thing and did not like it, they will never change their minds. And they I will understand always that. be against it. And I get that. It. And it doesn't mean they're right or wrong. And for the people like you who want to say, well, it could happen to anybody at any time, you're also right. And, and there's really no right or wrong in terms of how you want to feel. Because there is a logic behind what you're saying. There's a logic behind what he's saying. And that's just the way it is. And neither one of you are ever going to cross paths on this. No, it's just a different perspective. It just won't happen. That's all. Yeah. There, are, you know, there are people who are totally going to be on opposite sides of the fence on that. In terms of uh, Shepard, his vitals are only 6'1", And the reason I was, I was kind of puzzled when you made the first comment is that Latimer's 6'2", 215. They are different body types. Latimer's a bigger guy. Wider frame, bigger frame, a little more bulk on him. Also has a longer wingspan. Um so I don't know exactly what the comparison was well, other than you believe they're both good special teams players. Well, that that was part of the comparison. I think Pete was also bringing up the point that similar to Latimer, and I think there's validity behind this, you have two receivers that did not get a great deal of experience in terms of snap count with their previous teams and that now you're okay. bringing them into the mix so they can compete. I mean, I still think Shepard's got a legitimate shot to compete for that third, fourth wide receiver spot. I wouldn't rule him out. I mean, he had a productive season with Tampa Bay in 2016. He actually had more production than Latimer. Mm-hmm. He had 40 catches that season. And he also has a connection to Gettleman, and Gettleman thought highly of him. You know, that's why he brought him over to Carolina. No doubt. I think Latimer's got a little bit more upside in terms of the return game. I would agree with you there, Paul. Plus, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers Shepard's only returned three punts, three kickoffs, excuse me, in his career. So that's a very small sample size. Latimer's got a little bit more on the platter with respect to that. I think we're going to let Pete go. We're getting some feedback on that front, Matt. So thanks so much for uh, Pete for weighing in. So I I think that was more of the comparison, that you have somebody that doesn't necessarily have a great deal of experience in terms of snaps, but similar that they have an opportunity to now compete for a, a spot on the depth chart, whether it be three, four, or five. Now, coming out, Latimer was a number two pick. Well, he that's was a another second rounder, between the two. And Shepard yeah. was an undrafted rookie free agent, which means at the time, Latimer certainly had better credentials. Now, that doesn't mean five years down the road like we are now with either one of these guys that, that one deserved to be drafted higher than the other. It just meant that at the time, coming out of school, Latimer had a better resume. He did, 100%, coming out of Indiana. But then, to your point, it reversed. Since they've gotten into the NFL, Shepard's been the one with more snaps as a receiver versus uh, Latimer's opportunities. But it's going to be interesting, I I think, the competition once you get to 3, 4, 5 on this team. Because, I mean, as it stands right now, I don't know if I would say anyone specifically has a huge edge. The only thing to me that has been encouraging is Latimer has been working with the first team, and part of that is because Odell Beckham is not fully healthy. So that may give an indication that Latimer, they may think highly of enough that they want to see what he could do. And remember, he also has experience with Tolbert, the wide receivers coach, because he came from Denver with him. So, you know, when you combine all those factors, I don't think it's stunning to see some of the opportunities that Latimer has received. But, uh, I mean, he would be the only guy that I think maybe has a slight upper hand at this point in OTAs. Okay. 
All right, with that being said, let's take a quick glance at Twitter before we wrap up the program because we want to give those of you an opportunity who don't have a chance to weigh in on the phones, but you may want to communicate with us in terms of your thoughts and what may be occurring with the team. Here's one from Ernie Paul at Ernie C. 2BCN. Do you think that Shermer is going to use a lot of two tight end sets with Evan Ingram wide, Ellison in the backfield since he picked up Kyle Carter and doesn't have a clear-cut number three receiver, which is exactly what we were just talking about. Kyle Carter, by the way, also has ties to Shermer because he came from Minnesota. Certainly an option, and we will see how things develop during training camp in the preseason, but that is something I would absolutely keep my eyes open for. And I also think Red Ellison's role is going to increase this year compared to last year. I would hope year. so. And mainly because of also the connection to Pat Shermer. You're talking about you got two tight ends on the roster. doesn't mean everybody's making the team. But Carter and Ellison both came from Minnesota Ski. Mm-hmm. That, I think, bodes extremely well for them in terms of the blocking that they can provide and running routes in complement to what Evan Ingram brings to the table. So when you take that into consideration, I think to answer Ernie's question, I do think we're going to see some more double tight end formations, and I do see Ellison having a much larger role, an expanded role, compared to what we saw last season. So with that being said, we appreciate all the phone calls, appreciate all the tweets. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running each and every weekday at noon Eastern as we will continue to keep you up to date with what is occurring on the OTA front as we move closer to training camp later on this summer. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.